Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's April 16, 2019, and this is episode 657. Today, I bring you a chat between two old friends. I sat down with Iberian X Perillo with no manuscript and no overall objectives except for mentioning Iberian X's new book, and we just talked for an hour. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you do too. I do have to apologize for the lateness of this episode, essentially missing a week, as it became obvious that my web server was no longer keeping up with the website and the next level of server with my old provider was too expensive so after 10 years I spent the last week migrating to a new server in a different company and then all of the fine tuning that has been necessary to get things running again has taken me the entire week if you came by the website and saw everything in a mess or completely down sorry about that but the new site should be better and faster and ready to take us to the next level, so I think it was worth it. Finally today though, I was able to make the time to sit down and edit the audio that I recorded with Iberian X just over a week ago, and so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. For links to the various things that we talk about, and also to check out a gallery of Iberian X's beautiful work, go to mbp.ac657. Iberian X, it's absolutely amazing and wonderful to be speaking with you again. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's, I always enjoy talking to you. I mean, we've been through a lot together. Absolutely. Even though we talk intermittently, but we were the, you know, as, as in terms of podcasters who talk on photography, yeah. you know, there's a few of us who are still around. I know it's yeah. we're, we're almost like fossils these days, but uh, <laughs> uh, but you know it's great that we uh, we are obviously we've been around a while. We've been doing this. Uh, I think you know I was I was one of the first, and you were very very quickly after after I I you know saw your amazing show pop up in in iTunes, um, and it's it's really it's been a long time. It was, it was fourteen years now, isn't it? Yeah, 13 for me. I think I came on about six months after you, something okay. like that. Maybe so, the beginning of 2016. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So it's it's a long time. Um, dedication for you there <laughs> on both of our parts. But it, I I think it's obviously it's been pretty enabling. We've we've both um, grown from what we've what we started. Um, you know, I mean, we, we're actually we're going to have an open open discussion today. I've I've got a copy of your beautiful new book here, making photographs, and we'll talk about this as well. But just to continue this uh, this podcasting theme for a moment, um, when you started your podcast, did you expect it to be to take you the places that it has? Were you what, what were what were your feelings about that? You know, when I came up with the idea, I was in my in my car, I was driving home, and the idea uh, of a podcast came up because I was listening to to podcasts, and I thought, oh, it'd be a good idea to have a show where photographers talk about photography, not about equipment. Mm. And when the name popped into my head, it was like a candid frame. Well, that's a great name. Mm. And something in my gut told me that if I do it, 
it'll be successful. Mm. I, I didn't define what that success would be. Ah, I had yeah, no idea yeah. what would result from it, but I just knew that if I created it, there would be people who would listen to it. Yeah. And that was sort of the extent of it. What it's provided me over the last 13 and a half years, I don't think I ever really could have imagined it back then. If I had known that it would have led to any variety of different opportunities in terms of me writing books and traveling all over the country and into different countries uh, as a direct result of the show. Yeah. Uh, no. And just, and just the fact that I've gotten to meet so many people, mm. some of, some of whom are my photographic heroes. Yeah. Yeah. You've, uh, you've just, interviewed them, them all really, haven't you? Oh, I wish I'd, <laughs> even though I got like, I'll have 500 by the end of the year, it's still not enough. Uh, right, because there's so many people on on that on that list. I gave up counting how many people are on my list. <laughs> um, but you know, I, if if I had the means to do it like twice a week, yeah, I oh, still yeah. wouldn't be able to get to everyone that I want to get to. Wow, that's amazing that you've still got so many that you wanted to. You still want oh, to talk yeah. to? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Of course, you know, yours is one of the few. Um, podcast that I still subscribe to and that's kind of a good thing because obviously it means that I'm still interested in what you're saying but yeah. it's kind of a bad thing in that you know podcasts are for me at the moment aren't quite although I'm obviously hoping that people listen to mine and yours and uh, it's they want because I no longer commute I used to listen to them avidly when I commuted oh, yeah. but now I'm I, my commute is one flight of stairs up to my office, so I I don't have the same time to do to listen to podcasts that I used to. So for me, I'm they, in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of contradictory, isn't it? But um, yeah, but I still love doing mine. Um, I I'm gonna, I'm going to be putting this out next week. I've got another chat that I did now that I've finished my winter tour at Travelogs. I've been having a few chats with people. I spoke with a guy yesterday, Jeff Brown, um, and this, this will be old news for the people who listen to this next week, but um, mm -hmm. really uh, a very clever guy uh, from the UK. He, he, uh, he's a, basically a LinkedIn and social media expert. So I had a great chat with him yesterday, and I've got a whole bunch of stuff lined up. And I just, I mean, 19, what, no, 14 years on, I'm, I still enjoy doing this every week. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think people who listen to our shows hear that. Yeah, um, I would, I would hope know, so. I would hope so. Because there's so many shows that are out there, so much to choose from. Um, I think that at least the shows I kind of gravitate to, um, most of which are not photography podcasts at this point, mm. but it's often in, in, in terms of uh, what I get in terms of the person who's doing the show. And sometimes, sometimes it's the content, but to a large extent, when I hear somebody who's really enjoying whatever they're talking about, mm. that, that means something. So I'm glad that uh, the both of us have been able to sustain that after 14 years, because this is the longest stint that I've ever done anything. <laughs> I know what you, you know? Mean. I know what you And mean. just the fact that I'm still as enthusiastic as I was at the beginning yeah. uh, is, is uh, unusual, but I'm very grateful for it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I th on what you just said, I, I've had people email me and say that, I mean, I I know that most people, including myself, uh, hate the sound of our own voice, oh, and, geez, and I yeah. and I, uh, I I often cringe at that. But 
I have people email me say that they they listen to me and kind of sometimes with an apology, but to go to sleep. <laughs> like, I've heard the, I've heard exactly uh, the same thing, and, and it's like <laughs> you know, with with your voice. I mean, you you've got such a great voice, and I I, I envy you so much with that. But I mean, actually, on that, were you were you in radio or anything at any time? Did you ever? Yeah. It was just, it's just a, it's just your voice and you use it as well, it is. Well, I, I stuttered when I was a kid and I had to work I really hard to get, 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 get rid of the stutter. But in high school, I got into theater. Mm. So I acted in, in high school theater, mm. but, and then I was in, um, speech competitions in junior high school and during my first couple of years of junior college. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I never did stuff, any, anything like radio until I started podcasting. Yeah. You know, I I think I was I had someone email me once saying that he could tell that I've gotten over a stutter. And I I actually uh-huh. I actually didn't stutter as such. Um although I I sometimes search for words and now because I J- Japanese is really my first language. I speak English like when we're talking th- things things like this, but it's so seldom now that Japanese is almost my first language. And so sometimes I'm looking for words. But I I do find that occasionally what happens is my voice sort of drops out and I can be talking. And normally in an hour's conversation, it will happen once or twice. It's as though I my voice just disappears. And I think that that is probably part of mm, a stutter or it's it's something that probably was very close to becoming a problem for me. So I can appreciate that as well. Yeah, I can, I can, I, I notice it happening when I'm nervous. Yeah, yeah. If I'm nervous, then the stutter comes back. And then I, and basically how I taught myself to uh, get rid of the stutter was just to slow down. Yeah. My what is it? My mind was faster than my mouth, or my mouth was faster than my head, or one mm. of vice, you know, one of those. Yeah, two. yeah. And it was just like took my time to just sort of slow down. Yeah. And because I'm not a a, a rap, if I start talking rapidly, I'm just my mouth is just tumbling all over itself. Me too. Yeah. You know, I was talking with Jeff yesterday, and after the conversation, I'm still debating whether to include this in the in the show or not, but. I we we got into talking about the fact that he was saying he was dyslexic, um, mm. and at school we had very similar problems. But both back in England, um, he's a couple of years younger than me, but almost the same age. And I'm pretty sure I've never actually been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure that to a degree I'm dyslexic, and I think that that for me as well was was part of what defined how I how I was my education um mm-hmm. but also we we got onto the subject and we we we're, we're way off the rails here but this is fine um we got onto the subject of how i i'm a terrible reader as in i i read really slowly i listen a lot easier and i think most people probably do but what an interesting thing that came out of our conversation yesterday was that i actually found it really easy to learn the 2,136 or whatever it is, characters that are in daily use in Japan. Because they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're pictographs. Um, and I, you know, some of them, like the, the, the character for running for a river, looks like running water. Um, and I, he was saying that a lot of dyslexics are better with words that look more like pictures. You, you see things in pictures. And so it makes so much sense that I 
was able to was able to pick up and and teach myself like literally 2000 Japanese characters in just 2 years when that's normally a whole mm. school life for a for a Japanese uh, kid so it it's all it all sort of comes around so the 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 stutters and the probably a bit of mild dyslexia um it all comes yeah. around so yeah yeah because for me I was diagnosed um last year with um first ADHD Oh yeah, yeah. Which is really uh, a surprise to me, but also the guy who I'm working with now uh, suspects I also suffer from major depressive disorder. Yeah. So uh, I've always dealt with depression and anxiety all of my life, but yeah. uh, the the ADHD was sort of a new thing, uh-huh. and understanding and dealing with both, um, both with counseling and medication has helped tremendously. Wow. Um, but it's amazing how we end up adapting. Uh, and sort of compensating in ways that we don't even know consciously to get mm. through our lives. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's so it's not always necessarily a, a bad thing because it results in us. Um, it leads us to things that end up really benefiting our lives at the same time. And I think that that's part of the reason I always gravitated to photography was that it allowed me um, a way to express myself not verbally. Mm. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 I think that that is, that's a very important thing for me too. Um, and we, you know, to jump into this, I, one of the first things that I saw in your book was right there in the, in the, the, uh, literally as soon as you open it, um, during the introduction, I'm just going to read this, um, and this, mm-hmm. that's a that's a, a terrible thing for suffer a dyslexic person to do if that's true. But so, You start with, in the introduction, I believe the thing that makes it difficult to improve your photography is the ease with which you're able to make photographs. Raise the camera to your eye, press the button, and there you have it, a photograph. And you go on to talk in this introduction about how you believe that the simplicity of of making photographs is is part of the problem. And and you, you have a a really good example of you know if you can you can within moments you can make a photograph but if you want to pick up a guitar um you can literally not make any anything beautiful you say that you mm-hmm. probably only your mother would think of it was uh, think of it as music <laughs> but it's so true i mean most other pursuits we we have to do we have to practice it for so long and put so much time in um and I, I have to tell the listeners that although I'm I'm picking out phrases from your book here, I still haven't read it cover to cover. I've been way too busy to do this, and and I hate the fact that I'm I've, I'm talking with you now without having read it because I'm very much looking forward to completely absorbing this beautiful book. But um, I I find that you know that that's so true that first statement, and I'd love to know if how you go on to talk about you know the this this is a progression what do you where do you take this in the book you know the reason i i wrote the book was because when i was teaching one of the things i often experienced was i would do my lectures we would go out in the field and as we're walking back every time someone would say i don't think i got anything good mm mm-hmm. and then when we would sit down and we start looking at the photographs without exception they each person produced a photograph that I thought was really good. Mm. 
And I realized it was a sort of a disconnect that was happening for most people in terms of taking a picture and being able to recognize what they had done mm. and more importantly, recognizing the things that they had done well. Yeah. And it was only during the critique session that I was able to point out all these things that they were they were doing. Mm. And I think part of that is that as people, we have come to know what a good photograph looks like. Yeah. Because we look at pictures all the time. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem is lacking the vocabulary and the basic understanding of what makes up a good photograph when it comes to our own images. Mm, mm. Just because we're so sort of close to it. And I, I wanted to create a, a book that i that bridges that, that gap yeah. that would allow people to have a basic understanding of how you are seeing as an individual and how you can use that when you're making photographs and then evaluating the photographs later. Mm. Because we take pictures so automatically now, whether it's with our phone or, or with our camera, that there is not necessarily a conscious awareness of what you're reacting to and why. Mm. Yeah. And so I broke down the book into visual elements to begin with, and they're light and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture. Mm. Principles that people have heard about all, all, all the time, but yeah. more often than not, what I would see is that people would learn something about one thing, but would never create this sort of synergistic relationship between all the other elements. So they would learn yeah. something about light and shadow, and so they would fixate on light and shadow, but they weren't paying attention to their composition. They weren't paying attention to line and shape. They weren't noticing that something that's really bright in the background is a distracting element. Mm. And they would only discover that when someone else pointed it out. Yeah. And so people would experience um, an inconsistency with their ability to make good photographs. And as a result of that, especially if you're photographing a lot, you get frustrated. You mm. start doubting yourself. You start feeling that I'm not really talented, especially when you start comparing yourself to other, to other photographers. Mm. And what I, what I wanted to, to, to do with the book is to te teach people is that you have a unique way of experiencing and seeing the world. And I just want to give, give you the basic tools so that you can start making sense of why you're responding to everything you're seeing in that way. Mm. And then that would allow you to make informed decisions about how to use all those elements mm. when you make a composition to the point, hopefully, it will become an instinctual thing that happens like in the background yeah. in your head. Yeah. So the, to the point where you're not going, oh, okay, here's light and shadow and line and shape. You, you do that when you're first starting. Mm. But as you practice and you shoot and you shoot and you shoot, all of that stuff just becomes a reflex. Mm. And what you're doing is you're looking at that frame and you're saying, okay, what do I include? What do I exclude in the frame? When's exactly the moment that I need to, to anticipate and capture? And I think that's, that's, that's the bridge mm. that I think many people who own cameras are never, never able to reach. Mm. Because as, as you said, quoting me from the book, it's so easy to make a photograph that you don't necessarily have to work very hard. Mm. And if you're satisfied with making the occasional good photograph, there's no need to have this kind of understanding. Yeah. But I think for a certain percentage of us out there, we really pine to make photographs as good as the people that we admire. Mm. 
And so it has to be informed practice. It's informed practice that gets you there, yeah. not just producing a lot of photographs, because God knows all of us can, you know, have terabytes, terabytes and terabytes of bad photographs. Mm -hmm. It's not just the quantity, it's, it's the quality with which you pursue making your, your best photographs. Yeah, yeah. And I think a few pages in, you, you mentioned that um, it's, you know, if you shoot a lot, everybody's going to be lucky enough to get a few good photographs, but mm -hmm. it's really more about becoming consistent. And, uh, and I think a, a deeper understanding is definitely what we need to be, to be able to consistently make good photographs. And I, I had, I think the, what you mentioned earlier as well is really important. The, the fact that people will often straight after a shoot, uh, they will think that they haven't got anything good. Um, I think that our anxiety as photographers and our, our desire to make, especially once you're, you're into it more, you're, you're deeper into it, into it. Um, people have a much stronger desire to make a good photograph. Um, whether it's just from your own uh, sensibilities and your your own sense that you, you want to make something that is more fulfilling to yourself or whether it's because you want to impress your friends at the camera club it's you know the motivation may be different for for all of us but I think people start to get to a point where after a while where you really you you really desire that you know making a really good photograph and that can be kind of paralyzing and i think that i had yeah. one lady on my on my tour this year um she sent me some images uh last week that are absolutely beautiful and it, it was they were of dancing cranes um, we'd we'd been to the crane center. We'd, she'd got these beautiful photos of the of the of dancing cranes, and yet when I when I did my um, walk around the bus with my mic at the end of the tour, she said, "Well, the only thing I'm disappointed in is that we didn't get any dancing cranes." And and she'd gotten home and she'd got a camera. I mean, some of them she said they were far away. She had to crop them quite heavily, mm -hmm. but she'd actually photographed a whole bunch of dancing cranes and they were beautiful photographs. And so I think that what it was, was that she'd got this idea that she wanted to get a certain type of photograph and she didn't quite, she didn't have the memory of it because it wasn't exactly what mm -hmm. she wanted. And, and yeah. I, I, I often find, I, I say, I, I did a post a, a while ago, I forget exactly which one it was, but um, I, I talked about um, analysis paralysis, you know, the, using the, using that, uh, that term, but it was more about, for me, not filling my head with other people's photographs before I go to a, a location. I, mm -hmm. I remember the first time I went to, uh, to Iceland and Landman Lauga, that's a beautiful, or Lugar, it's a beautiful valley that is absolutely, there's these rhyolite mountains and the absolutely beautiful colors. And I didn't even know until I walked into that valley what I was going to photograph because I didn't I didn't look it up. I I went with a, a very talented. He's, he's now working all over the world. Uh, Tim Folmer, a German photographer who does amazing trips. I, I went with him, and he basically just led us to all of these amazing places as a group. And so I. I turn up at this place and I literally I've I've said ever since that 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 place 
geographically or, or geologically, it's not that high. But I think mm. it's one of the closest places to heaven on earth. Uh, in, and, wow. and it is absolutely beautiful. But I turned up there and I had no prior experience. I've never seen it before. I'd never seen photographs of it. And so I was completely open to my, my own um, creativity. And I came away with, I, I went four years in a row, and I still think that my first year was my best, the best photograph from there. And I, I kind of think it was just because I'd got no preconceptions. I, I walked up, I saw it, and I photographed it how I wanted to. And I think that that is so important for people to do, to, to be open. And I, I, I think that this lady perhaps had a head full of dancing crane photos, which hers weren't. But then when she mm -hmm. got away from the, from the experience and she put a little bit of time between her and her photographs, she went back and looked and realized that she actually had some really very, very nice dancing crane photos. Yeah. So it, it's, it's strange how we do that. We have the, we have these preconceptions and things. Well, it, it's completely logical that we do because we learn from seeing other people's photographs. Yes. Yes. You know, we, we, whether it's landscape and, and wildlife like you do or street and travel like I do, there are, countless images in our head Absolutely. that we've looked at that we've admired mm. and so we model ourselves after yeah. to that yeah and that's that's good to a, a great degree because you learn so much as a result mm. but there comes a time where you have to stop mimicking yeah that work and part of what you're talking about is is sort of that 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 pivot point. Yeah. Because when you go in with an expectation, you're not going with an expectation uh, of an original image and scene that is come that comes out from somewhere from you. Mm. You're 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 modeling that idea based on something that you've seen somebody else exactly. do. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And when you get locked into I got to get this shot mm. and it has to be this all you're doing is is attempting to try and copy someone else and then you blind yourself Exactly. So all the other possibilities that are that are out there, yeah. And I think that getting um, getting comfortable with that idea of of walking out with a blank slate, yeah, with no expectation and mm. being completely open to whatever reveals itself is the only way that you'll get to the point where you'll create images that are unique to you mm. and the way you see and the way you experience a moment, yeah, because. You know, you don't want to be out there with a group of 12 photographers side by side, all making the same image. I mean, yeah. you see those, you see those things all, all the time. And it's like, yeah, everybody's making, you know, the same, the same photograph yeah. and they may process it a little differently, yeah. but that, there's, you know, it's just glorified Xeroxing. <laughs> and, and so and some people are really happy just to do that they made a pretty picture that looks like something they saw a professional photographer do and for them that's that's great and i'm not bad mouthing people who for whom that is fun they yeah. enjoy doing that yeah but you know for people who listen to my show or probably your show i suspect that they're all aspiring to discover their own voice their own sense of talent hmm. and you have to understand that that, that this is part of the process is that you're going to have to sort of let go of those preconceptions. Yeah. And as, and as much as you, especially in the kind of work that you do 
where you're going to photograph a particular subject or a location at a time of year, having an understanding of what you can likely expect mm. is is important because yes. you got to figure out when you're going to go there and all that other stuff. But once you get there, mm. then you got to let go of all that that stuff and just see what gets revealed to you. Yeah. And until you're able to do that, I, I think that you can only get so far as as a creative. Yeah. I think that the what happens with with some people was probably with a lot of people is that they have um obviously if you're going to pay thousands of dollars to go to a location you're going to want to maximize your productivity and so they will go online and look at where they you know where they're going and now some people and I've done this for places where I'm going alone I absolutely do this. I, I'll mm. go on to like 500px or something. I'll look and I'll try and find some examples, and I'll maybe even, um, you know, copy a bunch of those to Evernote or something, just to give me some visual clues as to what the place looks like and what I can expect. As you say, um, the the thing, the great thing for me, um, for the for a number of trips is actually that I. I was given opportunities. It was the same with Iceland and Namibia. I was given opportunities to go and work with some amazing uh, photographers and guides that that took me on the first trip, and well, with with most of them, it was multiple trips. But that freed me from having to do any um, research before I went. Mm, I, when okay. I first walked into, I know that. Um, you know, there's a lot of photos of dead flay in Namibia out there now, but I still think that that place is absolutely beautiful, and and it's where you have the um, the orange dunes behind the silhouetted, uh, the almost fossilized or petrified uh, camel thorn trees. They they're beautiful photographs, and I walked into that valley without. I must have probably seen the old National Geographic photo years ago that started off the dead flay sort of boom, if you like. Um, but I I walked into that valley without any real sort of graphical or visual clues as to what I was even going to photograph. I mm-hmm. I didn't didn't research it at all. And so, I mean, it turns out that I photographed out of all of the trees that are there. I photographed the same uh, slightly obviously different composition but i photographed the same um tree that and or couple of trees that were in the iconic dead flay photo so i i was kind of pleased that i found that because it made me made me realize that i was finding the same forms that attracted and i I'm, i should uh, look up his name I, but there, there's a, a very famous photo from from dead flay uh, from national geographic um but the so I was happy that I found the same form and and I I photographed it in my own way, um, but at the end of the day, it it was a very similar photo to what had already been shot thousands and thousands of times. But to me, my image was totally original because I was completely unaware of what everyone else had done. I'm not going to try and sell it as such because obviously it it's it's not. But the the fact that I I was able to do that just came from from this um, fortunate situation where I was going to be led to a place and didn't yeah. even have to look up anything about it. But what people tend to do is 
obviously you're paying to get to a place you a lot of people if it's their first trip with me they don't know how much i'm going to actually be um feeding them directly like you know i don't want to say spoon feeding but i'm i literally take people to exactly the right place at the right time um mm -hmm. and they don't always know that so i'm sure a lot of people are, are going online and they're checking out the images i sell my tours with my own imagery so they've at least got the the photographs that are on my website in mind um, and so that sort of it sets up the expectations and then expectations can often be dashed and and the you know the the anxiety then kicks in and we're into this situation that we're talking about so so from from your experience do you find that people are going in with the hope of creating a photograph that they may have seen on your site and that they're measuring how successful the trip is by whether or not they got that kind of shot? I think for some people, at least, yes. Um, and that's that's kind of natural. That's That's got to be human nature. They're, they're expecting um, to at least get some of the images. Um, it's obviously the the images that I use to, to market trips are it, they're accumulated over multiple trips. So they might not get every single um, opportunity, but we still, you know, the, like my dancing cranes in the snow, it doesn't snow at the cranes every time we go. It, some years mm -hmm. we don't get any snow like this year. There's snow on the ground, but falling snow is not that common. And so if people want the falling snow dancing cranes, that took me seven years, seven or eight years to get my shot. And I haven't shot that same photo since, mm -hmm. um, but it's on the way it's on the tour page. So that sort of thing could be um, difficult for people to, to, to accept mentally as they're shooting. But the, the reality is, is that the rest of the photos that you can get there are still beautiful. And, and, and that's what I think this lady did recently in that she she got back and realized that she actually did have a whole bunch of beautiful dancing crane shots um but maybe i, I can i can yeah. see people looking at you and going i paid you a lot of money why didn't you make it snow yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that that time i mean this is one of the the things and this is kind of me blowing my own horn about the trips as well that time when we did get the the cranes dancing in the snow um we were scheduled to be in a completely different place that day, but we, because it snowed and because we hadn't get any, we, we were in it, we were so close that we could go back. And so we, we went back there before moving on. And so having the ability to do that rather than working on a very rigid schedule or itinerary mm -hmm. is, is also one of the benefits of traveling, traveling there with me. But, um, that's, uh, that's me turning on my marketing hat. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. I know for, for me personally, I, I, I don't go out with an agenda for the most part, even when I'm going to a location that I've never been to before, I try to put that all aside mm. and I, I, Except the fact that I may not come away with a great photograph while I'm there. And for me, that's very freeing. But I can understand how other people, especially if this is like a once in a lifetime trip, mm. where they, you know, where they really measure, um, measure the entire experience based on that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I find that um, if I sort of embrace the idea that I may or may not come back with a definitive trip, but a, a image, but if I've challenge myself 
That for me is much more important. If I can take a look at the photographs that I created and, and, and see myself pushing beyond my, what my perceived limits are, moving past my comfort zone, taking risks Mm -hmm. that for me is much more important than whether or not I got the photograph. Cause when I'm doing that, I know I'm moving in a different direction Yeah, and that eventually that will pay off. Because otherwise, I could just go out and make the same picture that I know I'm adept at making over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and have people fawn over it and go, oh, this is just a wonderful photograph. But inside, I know I could pull this out of my butt (laughs) at any time, you know? Yeah. But Uh, I'll never never be able to get to a a level of of seeing and picture-taking that I admire so much from photographers who are just whose work I just am in awe of. Mm. And so I, I think that as as much as people and this is for people who are interested in studying with someone or taking a trip or a workshop, mm. really take into consideration that it's more about the experience mm. and pushing yourself mm. than it is about getting a trophy mm. image. You know, I, that, I think that, Sorry, no, no. I, I just, just because I think if you if you're able to get beyond that 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 way of thinking, mm-hmm. where you think that there's only one one thing by which you can measure something, you open yourself up to so much, including just the the experience of just being out there. Because yeah. you go to some amazing locations, mm-hmm. and I can imagine there have been days where you haven't got anything, mm-hmm. but you had an amazing chance to be out there in the in nature. Mm-hmm on a beautiful day with amazing light. Mm. And if you're, if you're fixated on getting this shot, mm. there's no way you can appreciate the, the blessing that you, you have just being there. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, in general, we do come away with trip from trips with, with lots and lots of images. I think the, the main thing, I mean, I, I had over 300 photos from each trip this year that I would consider not, maybe not portfolio class, but, they're they're all I at least in my final selects, which means that they're they're better than um, better than your to me my average photo. Um, but uh, I think it's more the expectation, like as we're saying, you know, that people do um, appreciate the the cultural aspects and the fact that they're in this amazing place. And I think that the a part of it. With with my especially my wildlife trip and David Dusherman, our, our mutual friend, um, mentioned this after traveling with me on the first trip. Um, he said something something like Martin really marches his troops, and um, it's actually it's actually a very taxing trip because some days we're up at three thirty four o'clock, um, yeah. and. And even and on those days, we're still out until the sun goes down to to do other stuff. And so, it, it's actually physically quite a taxing trip. Um, thankfully, I give people options. I have to be at every shoot, but the guests don't always. So some some people do choose to stay in bed on some mornings when they when they start to get over fatigued. But um, I think that part of the problem. Uh, and I, I don't want to go on too much about this particular thing. Um, but part of the problem is that. Um, when you're tired, you're generally less or you're more pessimistic about your possible outcome. Um, just the fatigue mm-hmm. itself and working in the conditions that we're in. Luckily, people 
do tend to um, either whether they're list whether they're taking on board the techniques that I'm talking about and learning new stuff, or whether they're already um, at a point where they understand all of the things that I would be taught, teaching them about. Um, a lot of that is is automatic, and we start to get to an autopilot sort of state. And so, luckily, they they are doing this. They're doing the work. They're being creative, and I think it just takes a, a little bit less fatigue and a and a more relaxed frame of mind to sit down and look at your images and say, "Oh, actually, you know what? I I did get it, and it's and that's beautiful, mm -hmm. and I'm really happy now." Um, so I've I've yeah, found that. Yeah, because there's something instinctual that happens. Yeah, and when you just let that go. Mm. It's amazing what you're able to create, mm. and uh, I love those surprises. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever go back to work from from previous years and things and find hidden gems, or are you do you generally not? I I went through. Um, I I've been documenting downtown Los Angeles for about 25 years, and <laughs> um, when I first started, I was working at Nikon. Yeah. And so part of that job involved me having to use equipment all the time. Yeah. And I just started gravitating to downtown Los Angeles, and I would go out there with an F3 or an F4 or an N90 with loads of Kodachrome. Yeah. 64 and 200. And yeah. they encouraged us to shoot a lot because they wanted us to have an understanding of, of the cameras and the systems so we could answer questions. And they paid for all the film and processing. So nice. it was just like I would just – grab a half a brick of Kodachrome and I would go out and shoot. <laughs> and then eventually as digital came in, I started shooting digitally, but I been meaning to go through all that work and basically create a, an edit of 25 years worth of work. Yeah. And, a, and late last year, I got all the Kodachrome out and I went to a friend's uh, uh, workplace and he had two large uh, light banks. Yeah. And I spent like six hours, two days, three, you know, three hours in over six hours over two days. Yeah. Uh, just going through them. Yeah. And I had procrastinated for a very long time at doing that because I was fearing, oh my God, I'm going to go back and it's going to be all crap. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I really was surprised be because back then I would shoot, I would look at them and then I put them in the um, slide box. Yeah. And then I put them away. Yeah. There were only a handful that I ever made prints from because I had to do Cibachrome prints, which were very expensive. There yeah. was no, I didn't have access to scanning technology mm. when I was first shooting this, so I could scan them and print them on an inkjet. I was yeah. just so when I looked through these pictures, there were I, I edited edited it down to about I think 92, 96 pictures, mm. but there were about I would say five pictures in there that completely surprised me mm. because they were uh, a sophisticated, they were sophisticated compositions or moments that I wasn't conscious of how good they were at the time that I shot them. Mm, yeah. And it was only now that I was able to look at it and go, Oh my God, that's a great, yeah. a, a great shot. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's something, uh, there's something about this sort of part of our brain that just, is able to, despite all the noise, see and create a really good photograph. Yeah. And I was really happy and impressed that I, I did do that. That's brilliant. Um, 
that's amazing. So, I'm really happy that you did that. In terms of the older digital stuff, you know, it's sort of, you know, like any, any time it's a lot uneven, Yeah, you know, cause I had other preoccupations, but I think over the last five or seven years, I've been much more conscious about my own process, mm. largely because I've been writing all these books mm. and these you know, about seeing and about, and especially teaching, doing a lot more teaching. Mm. So it's made me that much more conscious of my process. So I, I, I can see, a, an arc or um, a transformation in my work over these past seven years mm. that I can't really say was was um, that I was completely aware of for most of my time as a photographer. Mm. You know that that's that's really interesting. I it it reminds me. Um, I wrote a a column and then a a, a blog post where I, I went into this as well about the mental checklist. And I, uh, I basically had a similar experience. You're just saying, you know, teaching and you're, you're using this, your, your experiences uh, for your books and things. So what I, for me, what happened was, you know, coming back to how we started this conversation was the podcast. I, because I, your, you know, your podcasts are, are conversations with people. You're not necessarily trying mm -hmm. to teach people about photography um, directly. And so I, but that, but for me, that's exactly what it was about. A lot of my my posts are about trying to um, share my experiences in photography um, and what I learned from things in the hope that it'll help others. And I found very quickly that after you know, within the first few months or a year or so of doing the podcast, that my own photography was improving much faster because I was going through, what I was doing was I was creating the podcast that I would talk about maybe in a few days' time while I mm -hmm. shot, while I was in the field. Oh, okay. And, and so that's what it started to do was I found myself running through a mental checklist that where I was asking myself all of the questions um, I was trying to answer the the questions that I would talk about in the podcast as I was shooting. And I feel that, you know, that so, okay, so people might think, okay, so I have to make a podcast before I can improve. And that's <laughs> not the case because mm -hmm. you can force yourself to ask these questions if you have no other goals with your photography other than making good photographs. It's it's really a, a case of stepping back and and just setting yourself up in a, in a situation where you start to ask the questions that will lead you to better photographs. And that was kind of what the mental checklist was all about. Um, right. and, mm -hmm. and, it, and then it, it, it came through, it came around to um, that again, feeding back into this conversation um, that there comes a point when it, it sort of, disappears into the background and the autopilot mm -hmm. kicks in and we just do things like you were saying about the line and the shape light and shadow all of these things become much more natural to us and you don't necessarily think about it um another thing that i have just thought about there though is occasionally i i do find that because i don't shoot like year day in day out i will go on trips and sometimes it's been a few weeks or maybe a few months since I've really tried to be creative with the camera. And then 
occasionally something will drop out and I'll I'll realize that I'm shooting a snow monkey with a blob of white snow in in exactly the wrong place and I have mm, to ca- yeah, and yeah. I have to mm-hmm. catch that again when you're doing it every day you know when you're really practicing something day in day out that's that does become more second nature um but I I find that it occasionally when it's been a while I will drop back and so that to me shows the importance of of being with a camera having a camera in your hand as often as possible um and I I think that that is something that a lot of people if you only ever photograph on on trips you know like where you, maybe you'll do one or two a year there's too much scope to get rusty between the trips um mm. do you shoot regularly i mean are you out pretty much like every week or uh, yeah I, I answer that but i want to get back to something you just said mm. Um, in, in terms of one of the, the re, one of the things that I do in, in especially in the, in the workshops mm. is that when I just, cause one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to be pontificating on everybody's pictures, mm. right? Mm. Cause for me saying what I think is good about the photograph is, is just sort of one op- uh, opinion. Yeah. But by breaking it down into light and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture, that's what I talk about over and over again. Yeah. That, that at some point. I, I tell my students, I'm not saying a damn thing about these photographs. You are, mm. right? And we just go through every time an image comes on the screen. It's like, okay, let's hear it. And it's not about, oh, I like this picture. Don't, no, no, we're not talking about whether you like it or not. Yeah. What's happening yeah. with light and shadow, line and shape, color? And by the end of it, they I've sort of drummed it into them yeah. that this is how you sort of evaluate your pictures yeah. and other people's pictures. Yeah, and because I completely agree that you you need to shoot a lot in order to get that understanding. But even if you're not shooting every day, um, understanding how to look at photographs provides you so many lessons. So whether you're looking at pictures on Instagram or on a computer or in a book, if you're looking at them based on those things, you understand what those photographers are doing right. Yeah. Um, for me personally, the more I I go out and photograph. Um, the better I've become. Mm, yeah. But I'll qualify that by saying that I don't shoot as many pictures as I used to. Mm, yeah. So I think that, that that's 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 sort of key for me because now I don't have the luxury of being able to shoot for hours every day. Mm. That's just not, not the reality. Mm. But um, I do I always have my camera with me mm. until I dropped it last week and you got to send it in for repair oh dear (laughs) (laughs) jesus but i shot with my camera phone yesterday but um i'm constantly have a camera with me because i'm always practicing seeing and that for me is much more important even if i go out to run errands i have my camera with me and only if i only dedicate 10 to 15 minutes of that day to actively seeing and making a photograph that's fine Mm. You know, and then when I get three hours to go out and photograph something, all all the better. And when I go on a, a vacation and I have the luxury of two weeks, yeah, even better. Yeah. But I don't I don't isolate my opportunities for creativity based on some event. Yeah, right? I know what you mean. Yeah, and and for me, the, the result has been is because I'm learning to see with much more care. And especially during the most mundane times of my day, yeah. I make those surprising discoveries. Yeah. Uh, because I'm observing light 
and shadow, line and shape, color and gesture. And I see stuff and I get excited and I grab it and I make a couple of pictures and post it on Instagram. And, you know, it's, it's very satisfying. Yeah. Um, but recently my mother-in-law moved in with us. Yeah. She's 86. Oh, wow. And so, um, I don't have the freedom of just leaving anytime I want to, you know, yeah. cause I have to have some responsibility for, for her care. Yeah. But what I started doing is I started documenting, uh, her, our life with her. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And so I'm making photographs of just the different parts of our day when we take her to the doctor or she goes to the salon to get her nails, whatever it is. Yeah. And that sort of extended itself into a project where I'm photographing, uh, families and their morning routines, like on a mm. Saturday or Sunday morning. Mm. And I find that having these projects is incredibly satisfying. One, because I'm providing, I'm documenting an important part of my life in these families' lives. Yeah. But it's providing me an opportunity to use everything I used as a street photographer yeah. in a very different way. Wow, yeah. yeah. And And for me, it's just like, it's like all those surprises, because especially when you're photographing young kids, it's chaos and unpredictability, yeah, yeah. right? Oh, Throwing brilliant. a dog there, and it gets all the more complicated, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, it's it's exciting just because of the challenge yeah, and the fact that I'm exercising this muscle in a very, very different way. So sometimes that week, um, I may only have that one scheduled shoot yeah. and then whatever I can get during during the week. But I make as much of that time as I can. And I have to say that I think over the past um, six months that I've made some of the better photographs that I've made in a long time. And I think it's partly because I just took my photography in a different direction that wasn't just exclusively to doing stuff on the street. Yeah, uh, that's brilliant. That's going to become such a... A, I'm, I'm sure a very thought-provoking body of work, and uh, hopefully you'll be. It, it won't be hidden in in the Iberian X Perillo uh, like stock of photos that never the world never sees. Oh no, 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 no! I'm yeah. sharing some of those on on Instagram already. Oh, uh, brilliant! I'll check yeah, it out. Yeah, so some people will see some of those on on Instagram, but at some point, yeah, I'll do something with with the body of work. They're both fairly new projects. Yeah. Uh, but I'm really glad that I have that because, you know, if, if I was only shooting when I got a chance to go somewhere and do street photography, I would, it would be very frustrating. Yeah. Well, I mean, writing and all of the stuff that you do, it takes a lot of time. And so yeah. it, I completely, I wish that I had, um, more, I started shooting with the EOS R recently, which is much smaller. And so it's. Mm. It's a, a even the lens. It's the same lens, the twenty four to one hundred five, but it, it's a smaller version. And so I'm I'm finding that I'm able to throw that over my shoulder more than I ever ever would with a full five D with a with a battery grip. So I'm looking forward to to having more of these sort of everyday experiences. But because for me, one of my main things that gets my creative juices flowing is is being in the mountains, in the snow and stuff like that. I'm kind of limited. Um, so I envy you for for having I, I envy you, but I mean, not to the point where I'm gonna be running off and doing the same sort of thing. I I do enjoy my my wife's father is is like ninety-six or ninety-seven now. Mm. Um and uh so when we when I go to visit visit him. I, I always have a camera and I'll get a few photos. 
Um, but I do envy you having having that situation relatively close where you you can form a project out of it. Um, and I, I think that that is, it's, like I say, I, I, I look forward to seeing that as a body of work because knowing how you, how you do work and your own sensibilities and things, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a really nice thing to see. Um, yeah. But, and, yeah. and I encourage people in the book to just like find stuff in their own home. Yeah. Cause I think they, they assume that they have to go elsewhere and it's like, Hey, start paying attention to what the quality of light is at your house or your yeah. apartment at different times of day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause like you'll discover that there are some wonderful things happening in yeah. your own living space yeah. that you just don't pay any attention to because it's just a functional space. This is where I yeah. sleep. This is where I eat, you know, this is where I live with my partner, where I'm raising my kids, where yeah. I'm, you know, playing with my dog, and you don't really think about it in a, in a visual sense. But I've made some of best pictures of, over the last six months in my kitchen. Yeah, you know, that, you know with the that, morning light coming through the window. Exactly. You know, the, I, one of even now the um, the photograph that I have on my phone, like you know, you know when you you lock screen on your phone and mm-hmm. that is um, about six months ago. In the winter, the sun, the angle of the sun being lower, it shines in at a, it shines in more. And we had this beautiful light just in our living room, like living dining area. Um, and I had a, a keyboard, as in, you know, a music keyboard on the table with my computer and my headphones. And behind it is just our side, sort of sideboard thing and, a, and the stereo and then the crockery sort of cabinet. And the light was absolutely beautiful one afternoon. And I'd set it up to just sit down and practice with the keyboard. But my wife turned and says, what are you doing? And I'm there. I'm there sort of crouching Mm -hmm. over, getting a good angle with my iPhone. And this iPhone shot from six months or so ago is one of my favorite images from from the home last year. And it was just the light. It was the way it was coming in and the play of the light and everything. And so I can totally relate to that. And that, that really can be very fulfilling. And if you can if you can recognize moments like that mm. under the most ordinary circumstances, mm. when it presents itself in the real world in a mm. really dramatic way, mm. you not only see it and recognize it for what it is, but you know what to do yeah. because you've been working with your camera to the point that you know, okay, let me close my aperture down, let me yeah. uh, adjust the exposure, let me set the white balance correctly, yeah. and it just becomes a thing that you do in milliseconds, yeah. and then you focus your attention where it needs to be and how you're seeing and how you capture it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, you know, Ibera next we we have, we've been talking for um, almost an hour now and I know that I haven't gone back into your book, but um, to save your time um, as well as, um, you know, making this too, trying to avoid making this too long. What I'd love to do is just uh, find out where people can go to get your book. So making, making photographs, developing a personal, personal visual workflow. Um, where is it available at Amazon everywhere? Yeah, it's available on Amazon and uh, probably Barnes and Noble and, um, and depending on where you are in the world in some bookstores, I know that it's uh, all throughout the uh, U.S. and Canada, and I think it may be in U.K., but otherwise people can either get a soft copy through you know, the, the places that you mentioned, but there's also uh, you can get the ebook. And if people order it through the Rocky Nook website, which is rockynook.com, yeah. and they order the book there, they can use the promo code PORELLO40, that's P-E-R-E-L-L-O 40, 
and the uh, numeral 40. Yeah. And they'll get a, I think it's a 40% discount off uh, either the ebook, uh, the soft cover, or both, or something Excellent. along those lines. So, what was the URL for that again? It's rockynook.com. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll send you the uh, the URL for it. Rocky Nook is the uh, is the publisher of yeah. the book. I see. Cool stuff. Okay. Well, that is ver- that's very generous of you. I'll include that in the in the show notes, and hopefully, people will enjoy it. I know I'm going to as soon as I figured out my PayPal issues and everything else that's prevented <laughs> me from reading before I uh, we spoke today. I will be. I'm really looking forward to diving in and and devouring the rest of the book. But uh, Iberinex, thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure to talk again today, and I, I do look forward to getting a chance to do so again at some point before too long. Um, but thank you. And uh, No, my, my pleasure. And real quickly, I just want to uh, let uh, your listeners know is that I'm hoping to put together – I am put together a trip for Tokyo. Oh, brilliant. Uh, with uh, – George Nabechi, who's been doing workshops with Arthur Morrison and Sam La- uh, Sam Abel. Yeah. So we're just announcing it. So um, I'll give you the link for that. So if people want to have like a personal experience of of, of Tokyo and all the um, those areas, George is from Japan. Yeah. And so he's going to give all of us a really personal experience of the of the city. We're not just going to be hitting the, the typical tourist spots. Brilliant. So if people are interested in studying with me and and doing it in Tokyo. Um, check it out and hope to see some of you guys there. Well, I I will hopefully get a, f- a chance to finally meet you in person as well then um, because yeah. I know that we missed it. I, I came over to see you in LA when I was there and we we, we ended up so close and yet uh, and didn't manage to get to, right to shake hands. Right across the street from each other. Yeah. It is such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but definitely, I mean, we'll have to hook up when you're here. When is that? That's sometime in December, first two weeks in December. Of uh, this year, excellent. This year, yeah. that's brilliant. I'll be in town, so uh, we uh, will have to hook up and uh, finally Absolutely. get to meet. But uh, yeah, thanks for that. And oh, of course, there's also uh, the Candid Frame. Uh, is your your podcast is still on the CandidFrame dot com? It's still CandidFrame dot com. Yep. Yeah, they can just go there, and uh, and we have an app that's available, so they can download and access the entire archive. Mm. Just because of the number of episodes that I have, uh, they're only. Uh, not all of them are available on the iTunes store. Yeah. I don't know about some of the other services, but if you want to go back, as some people do, all the way back to episode one, yeah, um, you, they can get the app. There's a link on the on the website, and then they can search and, and download and listen to Excellent. as much as they can muster. Excellent. Well, that is – it must be one of the, the best archives of uh, – of interviews that there is available on the planet. So definitely people should go over there. And I will, of course, um, add, I'll put in uh, links to all of this stuff in the show notes for, for this episode. So really though, thank you so much, Iberinex. It's been a pleasure and uh, I hope to speak again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. Thank you. <laughs> that was a great conversation with Iberinex and I, as I say, I have put links to everything into a blog post for this episode at mbp.ac657, so please do go over and take a look. If I can make the time, I'll try to release a second podcast this week, but I do have a whole bunch of stuff on, so if it turns out that we completely missed last week, sorry about that. Either way though, thanks very much for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share a link with your friends. 
subscribe in iTunes or your favourite podcast programme to ensure an interrupted delivery. If you have a moment to rate the podcast or leave us a review in iTunes, that helps to keep us relevant in the huge number of podcasts out there now. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, etc. and links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com, so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back either in a few days or next week with another episode, but in the meantime you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye bye.